Grace and mercy and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Imagine it's the 500th anniversary of our nation's beginnings. We are right now just coming up on 250th anniversary in a few years. But imagine it's been 500 years, twice the life we've already seen from our country. And with that has come some changes. No longer is our nation a republic or a democracy, but rather we're ruled by a communist government in partnership with China. Imagine that we are basically a vassal for China and we retain our name, the United States of America, but in name only. Other than that, we are basically under the control of another government. The Constitution's been dissolved, erased from all records. The flags have been burned. The history books have been rewritten. Only those who are willing to compromise were able to retain any kind of position of power or wealth. Basically, they're puppets, and most of the people have forgotten. They've forgotten our origins. They've forgotten the founding documents and stories of our history. But in Philadelphia, on this 500th anniversary of the 4th of July, there are some who remember, and a group has gathered to uncover a time capsule. There is actually a time capsule that they're planning to bury in Philadelphia at the 250th anniversary of our country. And so now imagine 500 years have gone by, and at that anniversary they uncover this time capsule. And what's in it? In that time capsule, there's a flag with the stars and stripes. There's a copy of the Constitution, something they've never read before. There's the Declaration of Independence. There's historical videos and writings from the founding of America. How would that strike you? How does it strike you now to think of a time where they don't remember the Declaration of Independence and you're just rediscovering your origins for the first time, where you're under the control of another government, where the only people in power are those who are willing to bow and bend the knee before other rulers. There have actually been times in the history, not just of countries, but of God's own people, where this has been true. In the days of Nehemiah, they had to learn what it was to lose their origins, to lose their land, to lose their freedom. And after spending a period of time, 70 years, two generations, under the power of another government in Babylon, they finally come back and they're trying to find out who they are. And there Ezra has uncovered the scroll of Moses, something that many of them probably haven't heard their whole lifetime. And they're hearing it for the first time. 
They're living at a time where those in power have compromised, where they are plotting against Nehemiah for what he's standing for. They're forcing the poor and the working class to sell their fields, to sell their sons and daughters into slavery, to enact taxes of 40 shekels of silver a day on them, and Nehemiah won't stand for it. It says in chapter 5, Return to them this very day the fields, the vineyards, the olive orchards, and the houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Nehemiah won't stand for it. He's trying to restore what God's people once knew in that land. To restore the poor to a better place, to restore the walls to standing up, to restore the word to its core place in God's people. And the people stand up, they cry, Amen, Amen. They fall down on their faces and they weep. That's what it's like to imagine having lost who you are and rediscovering it with the Lord. If we lived at such a time in our country where our land, our government, our constitution no longer were ours, how would it strike you to rediscover that? Would you fall down? Would you weep? Would you cry out, yes, that is what I've been waiting for. God brings such times on his people so that they would weep, so that they would realize what they've been missing, so that they would rediscover who he is and who he's been and where they've come from all along. He will drive his people into captivity and into poverty and strike them with blindness because he wants to unearth the capsule to unearth what's been hidden and missing, to unearth the joy, the liberation, the jubilee that Jesus is preaching about in his sermon in Nazareth that day. Sometimes we just take God's word for granted. We have it all the time. We have access to it like never before, unlimited access right in front of us And yet, more than ever before, we take it for granted. How much time do we spend? How much focus of our thoughts are on this word? Does it occupy our daily interests or does something else? Does the world, the devil, our flesh, lure us into compromising? Show us a partnership where we would imagine things could be better seduce us into slavery, to give a little and a little more until we've given away a lot. What sort of partnership agreement does the enemy try to make with us? And how long before we've just completely forgotten what it meant to be free? It's too late. The walls are torn down, the city is taken, and no one's getting away. The hordes have come and they've carried us off. We can compromise, 
try to salvage some position of power and self-interest for me. But meanwhile, the poor are suffering. The lost are getting lost even more. And the tyranny is only growing. And so Jesus comes to Nazareth, the place where he was brought up and grew up, to look at a people who have lost track of things. Their eyes are fixed on him because they're trying to figure out what is he saying? Who is this and what is he trying to accomplish? The text that Jesus chooses from Isaiah as he unrolls the scroll is chapter 61. And he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of Jubilee. The people of Israel had lived through time and again of captivity, of being lost, of suffering. And the second captivity had come at the hands of Babylon before they came back under Nehemiah. Nehemiah saw how things had gotten, the elite privilege taking advantage of others, leaving the outsiders to themselves. They didn't care for the poor other than to throw them some bread. And now the Romans have taken over. The Romans have enslaved the people in a different way, ruling them, but not really allowing them any freedom. And so the poor that Jesus is preaching to includes not just those who are financially downtrodden, but those who are downtrodden in all their status. This is the social status, this is a religious status, Poverty in the Bible has to do with a sense of what your spirit is going through. A sense of how you fit in to the community. And Jesus is preaching to the poor. All the poor. And in his ministry, he goes to these people, the prostitutes, the demon-possessed, the lepers, the tax collectors the paralyzed, all the poor, those who are enslaved outwardly or inwardly. Like you might think of a poor little girl who has her lunch money stolen because a bully is oppressing her. This is what the sense of poor means. It's the poor people like us who are under the weight of sin. We are poor. And the Spirit is upon Jesus because there's a fire in his belly as a preacher to get this message out to people who don't even remember what it's like to be free. To get this message out, he's been anointed, literally messiahed, christened by the Holy Spirit. He is the Messiah so that he can preach the true freedom and liberation 
that God is bringing to his people. At his baptism, the Spirit descends on him, and he never stops proclaiming liberty. What he calls here a ministry of jubilee. The Isaiah text that Jesus is preaching refers back to the year of jubilee. Every 50 years, Israel was supposed to celebrate a jubilee. And the jubilee was the year of the Lord's favor. And during that year, they were supposed to release and forgive all debts. Anyone who has incurred a debt with another brother Israelite was to be forgiven. Anyone who has lost property was to have it returned. Anyone who has been enslaved was to be released. They could pay the redemption price if that were possible for the debt or for the land or for the slavery. But if they were too poor to pay it, the owner who had enacted the debt or who had enacted the property or the slave, he was to pay the price and let it go every 50 years. It was a celebration. And the Lord did this because he wanted them to remember what God did for them in Egypt. That this is the Lord who brought them out of slavery. This is the Lord who enacted his payment price and his redemption to bring them forgiveness and freedom and release. And this is the God who gave them the land freely. So they're not to keep it to themselves. They were to return it. Do you think the Lord cares for the poor? Do you think the Lord cares for the enslaved? Do you think the Lord cares for the oppressed and suffering? Jesus is living proof that God cares about people who are suffering, that God cares about the poor, that God cares about the oppressed. The year of the Lord's favor has come, Jesus says, and so he heals the sick, he cures the blind, he proclaims forgiveness to those who are steeped in sins, he welcomes those who are not welcomed. He calls tax collectors and fishermen, he helps Samaritans and Gentiles, he forgives prostitutes. These are people who can offer him nothing in return, like us. Liberty is a release from bondage. But this is not from Roman prisons, not from the trouble in our lives, but the prisons of sins, lies that we've believed, and religious burdens that we've placed on ourselves or others have placed on us. At first, the people marvel. They are impressed by these words. They speak well, but it's naive. At first, the people think, hmm, that sounds like a good sermon. The year of Jubilee is here. They like this idea. But when Jesus shows them what it really means, when he says, well, you're not actually the first ones I've come for, that the privileged people who have come to church that day are not the first in line, then they turn on him. 
that he will first go to others like Gentiles is a stumbling block to them. It's like having grown up with the word of God in church, in school, in our homes, our whole life. We've grown up with the word of God. We've been hearing it, but we've forgotten what it meant. We've forgotten what it does. We've lost sight of the Spirit's anointing and the power in this message that Jesus is preaching so that we can come to church Sunday after Sunday and still be blind. And many do. Because of this, the Lord sends a time of Isaiah, a time of Nehemiah, a time of a 500th anniversary time capsule where we have to re unearth what God means when he says he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. There were many widows in Israel's day, but Elijah didn't go to them. There were many lepers in Elisha's day, but Elisha didn't go to them. No, They went to these singular people who were outside of Israel, up in Sidon, over in Syria. When they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. They'd been coming to the synagogue year after year for their whole life, and who is this carpenter's son from Nazareth to tell them that they're not the first in line? Who is he to come into a city and not go to the honored ones first? But this is the message of redemption. This is the message that we need to relate to on the level of our heart. To be the poor, to be the lost, to be the unhonored ones. And if Jesus should so gracious us to come to our house to spend time with us on Sunday morning, we should be blown away. If you uncovered that 500-year-old time capsule and you are in Philadelphia on that day and you raise that flag and you read the Declaration of Independence and you learn of that history, it would blow your mind. And God is here unrolling the scroll for you. Jesus preaches every Sunday to you. The Gentiles, the poor, the unlikely ones. Who will be among the ones Jesus chooses? I can tell you it won't be the compromisers. It won't be those looking out for themselves. It won't be those in partnership with the enemy. But he does this so he can awaken you from your slumber, so he can break those chains, and he says to you, follow me. He bears the poverty, the curse, the stripes, the wretchedness. His cross is his place of liberation, and from the grave he looses all power over you. From the grave he sets you free who were once slaves to be redeemed and released and says that this is the year of Jubilee. 
Amen.